to share this together with us all. And it's never the same when you're not here. So we're grateful uh, for this time for us to be together in the house of the Lord. Today, Mark 2, starting our reading in verse number 13 and read through verse number 17. Wrong religion. Wrong religion. Mark 2, 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting the seat of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we can come as, and Lord, just needy people today. That I need you, that we need you. God, we need to learn. We need to hear. Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us today and he would guide us. And God, that we would be forever changed because of your gospel. Lord, I pray for someone today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. That's the greatest need that anyone has is to come and know you in a personal way and have forgiveness of sin. So God, I pray you draw them to yourself today. And God, that they would humble themselves before you and repent and believe. God, I pray for men, even from our congregation, that are out preaching the gospel today. Lord, that... Uh, Maybe a tough situation where they're at, I don't know. But God, I pray that you would encourage them that they would know the filling and the moving of the Spirit of God in them and among them today. So Lord, I pray that you would be the center of our attention right now. Captivate our minds and our hearts for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Today in these few verses of Scripture, I have four things that I want us to give our minds to and build our thoughts around this morning as we look at this text of scripture. First of all, in 13 and 14, we see a loving invitation, a loving invitation in verse 13 and 14. And then in verse 15, we see genuine appreciation, genuine appreciation. And then in 16, a religious condemnation, religious condemnation. And lastly, a practical explanation. See, those four things as we go through this text today, and a text that is probably fairly familiar uh, to you in many, many ways, but it never hurts us to go back and to re-examine, to look at, and ask God to teach us once again uh, from the text that we look at. And so, you know, it was uh, entitled it Wrong Religion. It didn't take long in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ for it to become very evident that there was a huge difference between the Son of God and the sons of religion. <laughs> Big difference that became 
quite clear as he's tried to minister and did minister there among the people in that day. See, religion, that it's about our working and what we can do. And Jesus is about his grace being enough in our life. That religion is about a membership, a part of this or a part of that. And Jesus is about a relationship. Knowing him in our heart and life and it being real. See, religion is more, more of what man can do. But Jesus is said, here's what I can do in our heart and life. And so there's a, a world of difference between what religion is and who Jesus is. Now, I understand and know that you know, religion is, is a quite, a big, quite a big umbrella there. We talk about religion and the things that we, uh, even as we gather today, that that would fall under that umbrella. But you see that what we talk about today is not simply us gathering up and us simply acting better or looking better or smelling better or whatever. It's none of that. And we come here today because of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our hearts and life. We come here today because he's made a difference in us. Maybe we come here today because we need him to make a difference in our life. And so as we look at the life of Jesus through the gospel of Mark, here we're brought into his interaction with one by the name of Levi, or maybe you may know him better as Matthew. And Matthew that he the author of the first gospel, the first book in the New Testament. So here before us, we see the beginnings of his relationship with the Lord. That Jesus had been ministering, and as the uh, previous verses, you'll recall that he had healed the man that was lame, and that he had gotten up and walked and even greater than that, that he had experienced the forgiveness of sins. And see, as we look in the Gospels and that Jesus does miraculous things, as he does those mighty miracles, that it's more, that it's bigger, that it's pointing to something else that's greater and more substantial than just a physical miracle, that it's always reminding us of the miraculous power of the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and change our very being. Not just physically, but spiritually. And so today the story is much the same as we come through that he is ministering to people and he comes by one, a tax collector, sitting beside the receipt of customs is what King James says here. And what an interesting person. Because this tax collector that he was not very well liked and he was not very well respected. You see that the Jews, if you'll remember, they were under the thumb of Rome. In Rome that they would uh, levy taxes upon the people and raise the revenue. We know anything about that. Yeah, it's about tax time, isn't it? And so that they would uh, subcontract. The Roman government would subcontract the job of collecting taxes. And so subcontracted to this Jewish fella here and that he among his own people that he would go and that he would collect taxes among them and it was more than simply collecting taxes that he would get more 
than the tax that was levied against them. And see, that's how he would make his money. Rome didn't care how much he charged as long as they got their money, all right? That's all they cared about. And so the society, that they didn't have much respect, they didn't have much time for those that would go around and collect taxes because they knew that they were, they were robbing them blind as they collected those taxes, that they collected taxes for just being alive. That's one tax. Not much way to get out of that, is there? And then they collected taxes on the grain and the oil and the wine and the fish market. You see, we were, that's where Jesus was at, was around the fishing industry there. And that's probably what Levi, what Matthew was doing, that he was taxing those fish that were being brought up to sale. And then there was the income tax. So there was all sorts of taxing that's going on. So our disdain for taxing is not new. And, and what, what goes on is not new. That's just how government works. And so here, Levi, that he was very much a part of that. Matthew, that he had found himself doing very well, no doubt. That they would become wealthy. They would make large sums of money as they did this. And he was no exception, as we see here throughout the text, that he had a pretty nice place, I believe, enough for a large crowd uh, to gather that day. That he had done well, that he had collected a whole lot of money in his time and in his own very special way. But what do we need to see here? We see the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ to someone who was not so lovely, who was not so a good a person, that he was despicable, that he was despised. And oh, what a picture we see here of the way that God works in the lives of people, that he doesn't simply choose those that are lovely in the sight of the world, that God goes after those that the world doesn't care for, that God goes after people that aren't lovely, that God goes after people that don't have have the highest moral standard that there is, that God goes after people that doesn't live in the subdivision that you live in, that God goes after those who are in need of his grace. And that's what we see. The grace of God abounds. Where sin does abound, grace does more abound. Does more abound. I was talking with a, a man uh, this week, visiting with him for a little while, and uh, we were talking about different questions in the Bible and, and things that he was just asking what I thought about it. And, you know, that, that guy, he had several questions about things in the Bible, but he made a statement that he had figured out, and that's really what matters, is that he knew that the grace of God was greater than any sin that he could come up with. Right. If you got that one straight, you got the main thing straight right there. You can start something if you got that one straight. But God, he does miraculous things out of the most unsuspecting people. Back in the 1500s, Donatello, he was a sculptor. And he would sculpt wonderful and beautiful things out of marble. He had a piece of marble that was brought into Florence, Italy, and that he was determined that he was going to make a sculpture of one of the Old Testament saints 
And yet as he looked at that piece of marble that he rejected it and said that he couldn't make anything out of that piece of marble, that it wasn't of the right quality for him to do anything with. And then two years later, after much sweat and much work and much detail, a man by the name of Michelangelo produced the work of David. That is one of the greatest masterpieces of all time. That Michelangelo, that he took that piece of marble that had been rejected, whose people said wasn't good enough, that nothing good could come out of that, and he made one of the greatest and most wonderful pieces that's ever been produced. Isn't that just like God? That he takes that which the world rejects, that people says that nothing good can come out of it, and he takes his love and his grace, and he transforms our rotten lives into something that is beautiful into something that all the world would have to look back and say oh a master did that thank God for his grace yes give the Lord a hand today because of what he's done you see and you know yourself better than anybody else you, you can't testify exactly what God has done in somebody else's life, but you know who you were. You know who you were, where you were headed when God took hold of your life and started doing that work inside of you. And friend, let me tell you, he's not finished with you yet. He's still at work. What a glorious and wonderful invitation to this man who he wasn't worthy of it. Nobody expected him to get the invitation, but yet that Jesus, that he cried, he called out to him for him to follow him, to follow him. You know what this, the invitation really hasn't changed from the Lord, that he's calling out to peop, for people to follow him, to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and be his disciple, take, take up the cross and follow him to learn of him. 2,000 years later and the cry is the same, the call is the same, the need is the same. Maybe you've never followed Christ. Maybe you don't know anything much about Christ. Today I want you to know he loves you and his song that Katie sung has declared that he died for you and he arose for you. He died and he arose so that you could live forever. He died so that you could live. That's a pretty good exchange, isn't it? That's what Christ has done. That's his invitation. It was his invitation then and it's God's invitation now. Look in verse number 15. Look at the appreciation and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Now we see that there was something that took place in Matthew's life, something that is unexplainable, something that is not just fully brought to our uh, understanding in every detail, but we see something 
happened that he left and he forsook everything all right i think it's luke that brings that out that he left it all behind wasn't no going back but he left it all behind and something changed in his life and it it caused joy and it demanded of him that he let other people know it demanded of him that he celebrate what had taken place in his life so when Jesus comes and takes up residence in your heart, once you've experienced forgiveness of your sin, once there's a change that takes place, then I believe that our lives will exhibit genuine appreciation and that we will uh, let everybody know what Christ has done in our life. And that's what happened here, that he brought them all together uh, for a meal time, a time to come and to share and to fellowship. And I, I don't think that he simply brought them there to feed them something to eat, all right? I believe he brought them there so they get fed something else, so they could hear what Jesus had done for him, so they could see for themselves this one that had called him out of his lifestyle of sin, that called him out of brokenness and it made him whole again. I believe that he had some other motives in what he was doing. But you see here that it displays for us what should be natural in our life. That when we come and encounter Christ, when we make him Lord of our lives, receive forgiveness of sins, that we should want our friends, that we should want our co-workers, that we should want our acquaintances to know what we know inside. That it, that it should cause us to want to share what we have experienced, the joy in our heart, the forgiveness, the freedom that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ that he automatically, I don't think anybody had to tell him that he needed to tell somebody else. It was just something he knew that he had to share what Christ Christ had done. And so that he brought in his friends. And may we go ahead and say what the Bible says. And that he brought in his friends that were not acceptable to the religious crowd. Now if they were publicans and they were sinners... Those two words were synonymous, really. Publicans, that meant tax collectors. They, everybody knew that they were cheats. They knew that they were the lowest rung of society. And then it just says that they were out and out sinners. Now, here I believe it really gets to where you and I should uh, give, give some thoughts to the fact that, you know, We need to be uh, careful in our life that you and I, that we spend our life being concerned for the publicans and the sinners. You see that we tend, when we get saved, we tend to turn our attention we tend to turn all of our concern to those who are already saved. And I believe that we should care for and that we should have a special relationship with those that are of the household of faith, all right? I believe that with all of my heart. 
And that they should have a, a primary place in our life. But we should not do that at the expense of showing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and having real live relationships with people that have never been born again. One of the greatest hindrances that we have, and I'll speak of myself as a pastor, is having real friends that are lost people. Why? Because you're always ministering to saved people, taking care of saved people and doing that and hanging out with people like you are. And that has its place, doesn't it? Yes. It definitely has its place. But we never are allowed to get past that we have to have a relationship with people who do not know Christ if we are ever going to affect their lives with the gospel. And so I think it demands of us that we question in our own lives who do we know, who do we rub shoulders with, who do we love that is unsaved. The people that we work with and that we know, are we, are we genuinely concerned? Are we at the place in our relationship with them that we can show them the love of Christ? And so let's, that's outside of these walls. Now let me mention about inside of these walls that this should be a place that the biggest sinner, the most disgusting citizen that we have in Graves County should be able to walk in these doors and hear the gospel and not be rejected by a bunch of spiritual people. Now, Brother Ronnie, we're not supposed to put our approval on what... I'm not saying that. And I think you know what I'm saying. Get down to where it's at. That we must care genuinely, lovingly, graciously, care like Jesus did for sinners. I was talking to someone this week about that. And they, they said, you know, I honestly believe. And this person, this person is not in church all the time. They've been in church. They know, but they haven't been here in probably three months. All right, even darken the door. This person said, Lerani, I think that most people, that they, they feel like they walk in and they're not like everybody else, they're, that everybody else is judging them. That's all they're doing is judging them. And I don't think this person was making excuses. I, I was asking the question, I was answering. And so I think it demands that you and I, that we look at ourselves, that we look at us as a church and so that we are aware, that we are aware that that perception is there and that we do something about that. And we do that by caring and loving and receiving people where they are at. You know what? You're not where you are today. You just didn't. You were there one day. It, was a, it was a, took time. It, it took years. It took you coming to Christ. Something that has really floated around the last several years, I think it's it's a, a true statement that we need to be aware of. Lost people act like lost people. And we need to know that. 
And that's what we should expect lost people to act like. But our job, we're not going to win them to Christ by them feeling like that we're sitting in some sort of place of judgment. We're going to win them to Christ as, yes, we live out our faith. But when we live out our faith, it's going to be a faith that resembles what Jesus looked like. And that he's going to be welcoming and that he's going to be rubbing shoulders with sinners. He's going to be rubbing shoulders with those publicans. Now, you and I both know that the tendency that in our life, that if we start rubbing shoulders with them, that we're going to end up right there with them. We ain't careful. That's what we do. Now, does it mean we don't rub shoulders with them? No, it means we do our best to walk with the Lord closer. Not that you don't walk with sinners, not that you don't love sinners, but friend, that we must be so close to the Lord Jesus Christ in our life that that draw to him is greater than the draw to the world. Not that we don't care for them, we don't try to engage in their life. We must. We must do that. And that's what Jesus did at Matthew's request, I believe, in verse number 15. Great appreciation there. Look in 16, a religious condemnation. And when the scribes and Pharisees, the religious group, they saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners. Now, that's easy to do. We'll, I don't know, it's just our natural inclination. We see, you know, we perceive something and we as Christian people, man, I can't believe that they're, you know, with that person. I wonder what they're doing. And I can't believe that they would, you know, be with them. There's no telling what they'll drag them off into and all that stuff. Do you know that the question, that shouldn't ever been the question for these Pharisees who I would give you the fact that they, these people were lost. They didn't know Christ. They didn't know him. They didn't know what was right either. But I think it represents who we can be, who we can become, and who we will be unless we are on guard not to be. Because it's this flesh, this flesh is our nature to want to cast judgment, so to speak. And everybody's not going to understand and everybody's not going to agree. You know, we should be a lot more concerned about what God thinks of us than what other people think of us. Yeah, I, I get it that I'm, I'm concerned of what people think, that yes, I make some decisions uh, in my life, many decisions in regard to what other people think. I do. And that's important. You don't ever want to lead people astray by what you do and how you do it. But greater than any person's estimation of your life or my life or this church, greater is God's view and how God sees what we do and so I want us as a church to be very much in tune 
in tune to the fact that people need to see the Lord Jesus Christ, that people need to experience the love of God's people, that people come in this place from time to time and that we are there. Uh, that we really are their exposure to Christianity. And what they see here is what they perceive Christ to be like. And so that we must be very cautious and careful that we aren't simply bringing people into condemnation. Their sin brings them into condemnation. We don't do that. We need to be offering them the hope that comes from Christ. The life that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what, I'm afraid that sometimes we're unaware of how we are perceived. I've been made very much aware of that lately. Being unaware of how that we as Christians, that we as Trace Creek Church, that I, how we are perceived by people. You know, perception is their reality, right? Perception is their reality. So whether it be true or whether it be false is immaterial. But how people perceive us to be, that's their reality. So that we as the church, we need to be very careful. And if we have to go out of our way, get out of our comfort zone, in order to make people know that they're loved and cared for, then so be it. Because they need to know that this is a place that they can find refuge. This is a place that they can find love. This is a place that they can find acceptance in their life. Not that we are uh, embracing their sin. I believe you know uh, me. I believe you know this church greater than that. But listen, that we must get over our hang-ups with some people in order to win them to Christ. No, there's uh, churches that you and I may be uh, skeptical of in some ways. But we must admire their ability and their love for people that are unlike them, for people that are unregenerated, that they feel able to come and to be accepted by that church. May God help us that we'll have that sort of ministry to people who need Christ. Lastly, 17, a practical explanation. And when Jesus heard it, what did he hear? He heard, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want you to notice here that Jesus didn't deny that they were sinners. That Jesus did not sugarcoat that they were sinners. That Jesus was very plain and very clear that he knew he of all people knew that they were sinners. He knew that they were wicked. He knew that they were not worth a plug nickel. He knew that. And he was quite okay with that. And so if Jesus 
is quite okay with that. Then you and I, we should be quite okay with that. And be like Jesus and say that those that are well, they're not the ones that are at the doctor. The ones that are at the doctor are those that are sick, all right? And so this, this us coming together as the church, this really isn't so much about us and all the well people coming together and looking at each other and saying, oh, you look awful well today. That really this is a waiting room so sick people can come and be ministered to by the great physician. That's it. And you know that some of you don't have to look too far back in your past and you can see when you were sick. Now some of you, it's been a long time. But nonetheless, as we were reminded in Sunday school class this morning, as I was kind of doing some visiting this morning that God's always told us to remember. We need to remember the shape we were in when Christ found us. When we were brought in through the emergency room and the doctor saved our life. And so as Jesus explained it like no one else really could, that he's the great physician, he desires to heal, to give help and health. That we aren't to simply pat people on the back onto the way to hell, but we're to point people to the cross where they can get real help. Help and healing to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came not to call the righteous. That need how the Bible tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. No matter who you are, where you are in life, that Christ Jesus, that he came for you. He came so that He could offer you forgiveness. He came so that He could make you whole. No matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are, Christ Jesus came so He could be made whole. We call it salvation. The Bible calls it the new birth. Being born again. It speaks of the new life that we have in Christ. Old things being passed away, hold all things become new. And so I believe what we have here today is twofold. Number one, if you don't know Christ, you may be the biggest sinner in this county, you may be the biggest sinner that you know. And you've never accepted Christ, you've never made him Lord of your life. I hope that this message today, it gives you the encouragement to know that Jesus hasn't rejected you, but Jesus, that he's accepted you and that he wants to make you his own today. That there's no sin that's bigger than his grace. There's no offense that's so big that he won't forgive you. Just as you are and just where you are. And maybe you've been saved. Maybe you're a part of this church. 
I pray that today that we're reminded of our, of our role. Our role is not to sit back and say, ah, oh, sinner, publican, sinner, publican. But our role in life is to be, have the attitude that Christ had in this text. And knowing that we're to love people, we're to care for people, and we're to point people to Christ, just like Jesus would do it. Lord, I believe that's one of the greatest challenges of our day. How do we do that? And I expressed that in my first Sunday in the New Year message. Went around two Sunday school classes because the next couple weeks, I'm going in those Sunday school classes to pick some of these, the brains on this generation that I'm talking about. The 40s and under is really what I'm really, not that I don't, I love the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. I love them, love you. I want to pick the brain of this 40s and under. I got two questions for them that we're going to be discussing in their classes the next couple of weeks. What's the greatest opportunities that we have to minister and to reach the 40s and under? And what's the greatest obstacles that we have? to reach the 40s and under. And I know there's going to be a million different questions that shoot off those. But we must be, must be, must be more concerned than we ever have for a lost world, for a world that's not uh, programmed just to find themselves into church one day like your generation was. But we must be busy, we must be active, we must be concerned. See, one of the greatest hindrances that millennials type generation sees is, listen, this may hurt our feelings, hypocrisy among Christian people. Statistics say that they are wanting to see genuine Christianity. God help us. Because they've lived with parents and grandparents that come to church on Sunday morning and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And on Monday, cussing, taking his name in vain, having, doing their own thing. See, they're sick of that mess. May God help us. Not wrong religion. God help us to get it right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the moment in your word today. Thank you for each and every one that's in these pews today. God, that we're, we're a part of a special day. There'll never be another day like this day. God, I, I pray you'd burden our hearts. Lord, teach us and show us. I pray for people who don't know you as Savior today. God, that they would know that of your great love and we'd show that to them, we'd teach it to them. We'd live it. Father, I know that in, a, in this number of people, there's a whole lot of different needs. 
families and homes that are in a ruckus. People whose jobs may have been fired this week or laid off this week. God, people who don't know what to do in a relationship that's broken with their brother or their sister or their mom or their dad. God, we come in here with a whole lot of things. And Lord, thank you that we can trust that your spirit is going to take your word. He's going to show us and teach us and guide us. Lord, today I just pray that you would do the work that's most needed in someone's heart and life. And Lord, that folks would be obedient to that and receptive to that. God, for the life of me, I don't understand why that we say no to your drawing, but I've done it, I do it. God, today I pray for obedience, I pray for brokenness. God, reception to your word. We give this time to you as best we know how in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. This morning as we sing a song of invitation together, we're all going to join and sing as Brother Mike leads us. And as we do that, if God has spoken to your heart, I ask you to come today and do business with the Lord. If you need to bow your knee at this altar.